Namaste. So I've been asked to speak on Gita for the youth, Yog Yogeshwara Krishna. And as I was entering, uh, there was a request to share my life journey. So life journey is there on YouTube in different places, but there is a similarity of a certain kind. And I would connect it with the Gita. The Gita starts in a very interesting way. It is, its setting itself is very fascinating. It is not given to somebody sitting in an ashram who has gone to seek philosophical answers about life. So normally when we seek knowledge, we go and uh, go to some ashram, meet some guru and he teaches us something. It's not, not uh, like that that the Gita is given. Gita is not given to a man who is considered conventionally holy, wearing a certain kind of dress, adopting a certain kind of life. Of all the characters in the Mahabharata, uh, Arjun would not be considered typically a holy person. He is a good human being, he is a sattvic human being, he is a skillful human being, he is an expert in his own field. But he is not, you know, if, if you consider going by the standards of holy conventional morality, then Vidur will top the list. And if you go by the standards of uh, truthfulness, virtues, then Yudhishthir will top the list. But Gita is not given to them, Gita is given to Arjuna. So the similarity that I find with my little story is that just as Sri Krishna seizes upon Arjuna in a moment of crisis on the battlefield, well, Sri Krishna in the form of Sri Aurobindo seized upon me in, the, in Knot Place, one of the busy places afternoon when I was also tired looking for a way. <laughs> so that's the similarity. Rest of it is all available. If there is a question, I'll be happy to share. But look at the beauty of the beginning of Gita. Uh, we have all our notions about God. He is found here, he is found in a temple, he is found in a church, he is found at this place in that, or that place. But the Gita starts when the seeker, the seeking and the sought come together. In a moment of crisis, in a moment of apocalypse, when the seeking has reached its point where one is void of all answers. That's when the answer comes from the divine. It's very fascinating. Look at it this way that Krishna was always with Arjuna. And that is one of the questions he says. My God, who are you? I always felt that, you know, uh, you are my friend. I have put my arms around you. We have chatted. We have walked together. We have played games, had fun. But who are you? Who is sharing such profound wisdom? And that's when Sri Krishna reveals who he is. Now, this is very interesting that there is a moment that the divine chooses to reveal himself to us. And he loves to play, um, he, he's, a, he's a player, huh? naughtiest player ever born. So he breaks all conventional ideas about himself and reveals us in ways that we had not expected, but that was the need of our soul in a given moment. So that is the grand start of the Gita. And right in the beginning, it's very um, beautiful, that who is the Adhikari of the Gita? It's not like we can just read a book and um, remember all the Sanskrit and we become the um, you know, Adhikari, one who is ready for the initiation. This Adhikar Bhed used to exist in ancient Indian times and Shurabindu speaks about it, the mother speaks about it. Now also it is there but not in a very obvious way outwardly. 
So there are two characters in the Gita with whom it starts. So one is Duryodhana. Why Duryodhana didn't get the Gita? Why Bhishma didn't get the Gita? Why Drona didn't get the Gita? They were equally great people. I mean Duryodhana also, he was, he was a valiant warrior for all his defects. He was ambitious, egoistic, but he was a valiant warrior. He was not happy that to just defeat them in a game of dice, he wants to. Karna, he is, you know, known for his generosity. He is also a valiant warrior. He also likes to do things that are right in the checklist. But why they didn't receive the Gita? Now it starts with a man on the other side, which is Duryodhana. He is looking at the entire army of uh, Pandavas. And he very boastfully says, you know, they have good people, strong people, but look at our army, defended by Bhishma, Dronacharya, Khan, this and that, and myself. And you know, what is that army in front of us? Now this is one kind of humanity which measures the measurable. And there is on the other side Arjuna. He is contemplating the imponderable. See the difference. Duryodhana has measured the measurables and he has declared we are the winners before the battle starts. But what both have missed, Duryodhana as well as Arjuna, is that there is an immeasurable element in our life with which we must connect. That is the divine. Some people may use the word factor X, the incalculable aspect of destiny, of life, of creation, which we don't know. All the measurables do not amount to that one single Krishna, unarmed, sitting on the chariot and piloting the ways. There is an aphorism of Shurabindu where he says, if you have the entire world with all its army and shrapnels on one side and Krishna unarmed and alone, choose Krishna. Now this is where we see the division begins to appear. Arjuna has chosen Krishna. Both do not know. They don't know the incalculable. But Duryodhana is too self-satisfied with the measurables. So he is very proud, he is happy, he knows everything. He has probably done puja in his own Shiva temple and come. And he is very happy. So he has done all the right things according to him. Chosen Krishna's army, everything. Arjuna also is a villain warrior, but he has made one thing which ultimately changes destiny. It's very difficult to understand that. It requires a leap of faith. The Gita emphasizes that man is his faith. So what is that faith that Arjuna has? Some or the other, some deeper instinct in him knows that Krishna is the one whom I must choose. The divine I must choose. And so he chooses Krishna. And Sri Krishna is the charioteer. That image itself is so wonderful. The Gita describes it. It's an image from the Upanishads. Shubindu has upgraded this image several times uh, in his famous uh, Savitri Canto, Book 1, Canto 4, The World Sailor on the Flow of Time. So there he is given the image of the ship and the waters, which is a more beautiful, perfect image. But here the image is of um, the chariot, the horses. There is, of course... Uh, Sri Krishna holding the reins and there is the Arjuna who is the who is whom the chariot is supposed to carry through the battlefield. So this image as the Upanishads will reveal to us and Sri Krishna himself reveals in the Gita is this is the image of a total being. So horses are the energies, life energies which are flowing through the senses. Now if we if we just contemplate on this chariot we get 
the secret. If we allow to be driven by these life energies without any rain, without any direction, it's almost like sitting in a car and autopilot car, not even a, you know, <laughs> driver car. Just switching on and saying, take me wherever you wish to. The result is obvious, isn't it? So this is where the first lesson we learned. We can't be driven by the senses. We can't be driven just by the life impulses. It's there in the image itself. So there is something which controls these life impulses. The sixth sense in us, the mind, that is the rain. So one has to activate the mind. Mind must decide. It must hold. At least it must restrain them. But who will decide? Mind is in ignorance. But out of the mind there emerges something still higher in all developed human beings and that is called buddhi, the discerning intellect. And the Gita starts from there when Arjuna raises a question. He has done the wisest of all things that one could ever do. He knows, knows quite a bit, you know, as we see from his questions. He's not just an odd. He has read Sankhya, he has read Gandhiji, he has read uh, some of the books in Harvard University, he has had a brush with JNU students. He, he has read all this, huh? He's not an ordinary human being. So he's, when you see his questions, it's very fascinating. But he wants to know more. You know, there is a very beautiful saying by Sri Ramakrishna. There is hope for two people. One, the unlettered peasant who is full of, you know, just humble gratitude for the Lord. He doesn't know anything. And so he is ready for everything. And the one, the other one who having read all the scriptures, yet feels the sense of incompleteness. There is something more one needs. And that need has awakened in Arjuna and it has awakened in a very strange way. Not philosophically, but as a problem of action. That's why Gita, the mother has spoken about the Gita. She has said, Gita will yet liberate, uh, Sri Aurobindo says, Gita will yet liberate humanity. Four great events in the history. And he speaks about Christ's crucifixion, the Trojan War, the third is Sri Krishna's exile from Vrindavan, and the fourth is the colloquy on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. And the last one will yet liberate humanity. And the mother says, with the coming of um, Shurbindo's own uh, version, interpretation, call it revelation of the Gita, its action has become manifold. To all who have read the Gita in this Sanskrit and with its whatever Tika analysis and this is on the Gita, you'll see the difference. It says literally a sea, a sea, a sea of difference. It's something which is which happens magically. And one of the reasons is that there, see, Gita is given on the battlefield. Sri Krishna is in Hari, Arjuna is in Hari. You can literally read it in two hours if you go step by. So there is, it's very much, uh, you know, realistic event because he has gone a little early. Arjuna says, show me all these fellows whom I have to fight. And Sri Krishna knows what this fellow is going to, going to happen to him in the middle of the battle. Because Arjuna is not like Duryodhana. He is a sattvic cultured person. So, suddenly in the middle of the battle, when he is face to face with Bhishma, Drona, he will say, I don't think this is a good thing to fight. <laughs> so, Sri Krishna himself awakens in Arjuna what is called in yoga is Vaishnavi Maya. Vaishnavi Maya creates moha, asakti. Suddenly his mind is overcome with all kinds of attachments. And he experiences an inner crisis. His problem is not philosophical. 
he believes that he knows the philosophy because as we can see he knows about sankhya he knows some doctrines he knows some virtues how to live because he has grown up in gurukul where all these things were taught but now none of it is helping him to act because the choice is caught between two equal rights see it's very easy to choose when <laughs> things are between apparently good and bad but here there are two equally valid standpoints so one valid standpoint is as a kshatriya he is called upon to fight all options of no war have been exhausted and he should fight to defend those who are under his care they look up to him it's not just his individual matter there are people whom he represents and stands for he is the representative uh, leader of humanity he just can't say that okay i won't fight because it has repercussions on everyone that's the first thing that shri krishna reveals to us that your actions are not just for yourself that's why there was such a great emphasis on uh, in the ancient indian thought to create the aryan type of humanity because when there are ideal role models then people follow it otherwise in the absence of a role model the society will go into perdition so that's where it begins he says look here i have one aspect of him is he should fight it's a righteous battle as a kshatriya he should fight a righteous battle but at the same time that he is fighting against those very people to defend whom one fights the battle and so he says that if i fight men will die there will be a perdition women will be left you know without uh, progeny all this will happen all the conventional kul i will be a destroyer of my own kul and then shri krishna says that first thing you must know is to set up the highest standard of conduct for humanity you are the shrestha you are the aryan if you are overcome with this kind of weakness this moha he himself has brought the moha but he is the one who because it's there hidden inside him he is a good you know, he is a very arjuna is a lovely combination of art and science he is on one side the the archer in mahabharata the archer nobody comes near to him he had such deadly weapons he never used but at the same time his artistic side is developed he is he knows how to dance he knows how to sing music everything is developed and of course he has a very wonderful uh, as we see in the mahabharata essence of humor intimacy friendship with krishna so he says what should i choose i am caught so he has read some of the prevalent ideas okay some of these doctrines we speak about sanyasa he says i think best is i don't know what to do so i think best is that i take to sanyasa sanyasa is i abandon life action and take refuge in my solitary escape into nirvana so this is the ideal unfortunately we have uh, we were on the verge of accepting it as even a national ideal but shri krishna came again ashur bindu right in the battlefield of a new kurukshetra he once again reminded us through his writings that no uttishtata jagrata prapya bara vinibodhata this the upanishad awake rise there is a goal there is a work to do it's not just a random play which is taking place there is a purpose here so shri krishna chides arjuna what kind of weakness it's an anaryan spirit to run away to escape to be a cowardly person to clean your own hands and look mr clean 
whereas the world goes to perdition not to take the lead when you are called upon to lead this is another kind of weakness that many of us no 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 i if you are called upon to lead the leaders of mankind he is belongs to that category so he must take the lead and he must proceed with action and he says that do you really believe that a sanyasi is uh, you know this gospel that you have run away withdrawn you are no more into the world so sometimes if a sanyasi says i have renounced the world ask what have you renounced your body your dress your workings your actions your food your drinking your breathing even your ego of a sanyasi i am a sanyasi what is renounced renunciation is not walking away from home because anyways it never was yours renunciation is not leaving your wife or husband they never were yours you are with them but did you did you don't possess them like you possess a property that was a mistake that you dishted and made by putting them on the game of dice so what have you really renounced so shri krishna reminds him that greater than this kind of a ascetic renunciation is tyaga tyaga is an inner process it is where you renounce inwardly this clinging aspect with which we cling to things people situations circumstances if we are in that state we cannot know the right principle of action because we will all the time be attached and driven by moha so this inner renunciation gita stretches which is directly stresses which is directly in line with the upanishads and that is called tyaga for some of us uh, who may or may not be aware shurbindo uh, before he came to pondicherry one of the epithets with which his friends used to call him was tyagarajan because he was literally a living example of a jivan mukta renunciate he was doing everything even surat congress you see the photography see who ordered to split it but sitting in such quiet you know when you look at his picture even the picture when he is a little uh, you know this is the of course the photograph symbolizing ultimate renunciation but it's all inner inner renunciation if there is inner renunciation we don't need to renounce anything outwardly it is only when we are clinging to things that we need to renounce outwardly so it is a sign of a crudeness of nature if you look at it like this that you have to go away into some kind of a sanyas when your nature is refined when you have renounced the sense of the doer then you don't have to do that so he first explains to arjuna the difference between tyaga and sanyasa and then he starts him on wonderful journey but before doing that he removes from him the fear that haunts humanity consciously or unconsciously that is the fear of death you know it's very interesting gita starts with that but it looks like it is natural inevitable he is a kshatriya he is battling he is thinking that he is going to kill people so whether he should do it or not because these are his relative but shri krishna's teaching is far more generalized at least when i read it i realized this is not just death it's loss i will lose i will lose this i lose that that's why shri one of the answers that shri krishna says if you lose your, your honor you are as good as dead starts with that you are going to lose that <laughs> this is you are not considering that so loss in a larger sense and there he says there is somebody within us who never loses anything who never gains anything 
It is on a great journey, a great purpose. Gain and loss belongs to your outer personality, to your nature, but not to your true self. So the first thing that we it teaches us to, uh, you know, to differentiate is between the movements of nature and the self. Now they are two; uh, they are basically one, but in two poises. Meaning thereby, when the one self leans towards action, then it becomes identified with prakriti. It loses itself in prakriti. But when prakriti reaches back into its own quietened state, its origin, then it becomes purusha. First thing is to learn to separate the two. That's what the Gita teaches and the process of doing it by using the discerning intellect. Meaning thereby, if we have to act, what are the things involved in action? What we should do, what should be the motive, what should be the will within, what should be the purpose of action, all this is inevitably in action. So first thing is to gain, recover knowledge, why I should act. It's no point in just acting blindly, mechanically, just because, you know, there is often a, well, I have to act according to my duty. And that's how Gita is interpreted by many. Doing your duty, doing it well, and Shurabindo says, none of this nonsense. The Gita is not a gospel of duty. And he gives an example. It is a duty, I, I'll give a more you know, example which happens. It is the duty of a child to listen to parents. That's how it is told to us. What if the parents command you to do something? And I used to say this as a child. Supposing the parents say that, get money as dowry, for your wife should he do it or should he not do it his intrinsic sense will revolt if he is truly worth a human being he will say no but then he is violating the principle of duty so you see this dilemma comes all the time that's why the mother said in the supramental world authority by the ego is gone but there is another authority which has to replace it that comes a little later so Duty is something which is born out of human ignorance. Human mind has constructed these ideas and so on and so forth. What is the other way that we act upon? Through what is called as conscience, morally. Am I doing something which is right? Am I doing something which is wrong? So the problem of conscience is it arbitrarily divides life into one of the most boring ways of looking at it, life and that is good and bad white and black with no shades of grey. Is it possible? Life doesn't move like that. So we have these, you know, I used to have these moral science classes and oof, they were the most boring ones except that you get marks that were easy to remember because do's and don'ts are very easy to remember. But life doesn't, morality is good for in ignorance it helps us. But it cannot be the highest standard of conduct. Then there is social conformity what everybody is doing. But that humanity has gone past that. We want no education, you know, that revolt of the 60s, 70s. We, that's not what we want. Just conformity. Again, conformity means being driven like a pack of sheep or maybe a herd of <laughs> those uh, buffaloes. That's not what man is meant for. There is an individual element in man which must awaken to its own evolutionary necessity. That's why the Gita brings in the idea of Sankhya of many souls. 
Each of us are in a way on our own unique journey. But we are not alone. This is the larger context. Gita will bring it. So it says you look inside and make your choice. So it's not enough that we are just driven by society. Then there is another aspect. Scriptural knowledge. Which is religion. So I must act according to my scriptural rules and injunctions. So there is again another way of looking at it's a morality. But here it is somebody has told in the religious books and we know how dangerous following of religious books can be especially when the mind has no understanding of the vision from where that scripture was born it doesn't understand you know so it follows the word but loses the truth that's why the Gita gives two wonderful uh, injunctions to us it says first of all Shabd Brahmati Vartate Shubhinda also speaks about it he said, you have to go beyond the written word or the spoken word. Even in the Gita, in the end, Sri Krishna says that. And Shubhindu emphasizes, it's very good to have the written word. Shastra is important. But at one point, a misapplication of Shastra can be as much cause of evil in this world as it's true and right, you know, as anything else, as not reading the Shastra. So, it's important to go beyond that. Second, the difference between scriptural knowledge and true knowledge. So Gita, Sri Krishna tells Arjuna, I know you are going to quote from here and there, I mean not in so many words. <laughs> he says, I know, I know what you are going to do. But you know something Arjuna, to somebody who has realized that truth within, all this scriptural knowledge, he uses the word Vedavada. You have read all the Vedas. Yet all this knowledge to a realized person is like a uh, water in a small little vessel while he is standing surrounded by the ocean of light. That is its significance. So it's important, but a very, very relative thing. We must leap from word to sight, from scripture to realization. So he settles from there. Now Arjuna has to ask. He can't now, you know, after that, quote, unquote. So now he has to have his own questions <laughs> because he had no answers left. So he starts with questions. So what should I do? Uh, he has told him, fight. So then he tells him, first thing, you must gain knowledge. Knowledge is superior to action. He says, hold on, hold on. You just asked me to fight. Now you are saying knowledge is superior to action. Don't confuse me with your words. So you know, divine takes us through apparent confusion towards greater knowledge. People who are very neatly stuck in systems, believing they know. Do not know. That's how the Isha Upanishad puts it. Avigyatam, vijanata, avigyatam, avijanata. So Arjuna is now confused. What do I do? So he says, first gain knowledge. You can't act just mechanically, just driven by all kinds of things. That I am doing karma yoga. There are people who run from morning till night. So I am, once someone told me, I don't need to read or Gita or anything. I am already doing karma yoga. So I said, yes, the monkeys are also doing karma yoga. What is the big deal? Yoga is union with the divine. Karma is karma. When we unite, make it a means towards union with the divine, then it is karma yoga. Otherwise, it's just karma. And karma is of various kinds. <laughs> then there is karma, akarma, vikarma. But that's a different aspect altogether. Normally, we do karmas or are impelled to do karmas by compelled by these strands of nature, threefold strands of nature. 
So there is this tamasic prakriti. It tells us, look here, sleep time. And sleep time can, you don't know, you know, it can cease during a talk. So if you have that, I used to tell my students, don't snore. Your sleep time is your sleep time. Huh? Don't, that's why perhaps in such places you don't have desks so that you can. But I had learned the art of putting my hands like this and slipping into sleep when anatomy classes were going on. And suddenly teacher would say, alok, alok, then my friend would nudge me. Uh, yes, ma'am. What are you doing? Ma'am, meditating. Oh. <laughs> Thank God she didn't ask me who taught you. I would have said school of nature. <laughs> Thomas, you don't want to act, but you have to act. Drudgery. You are doing the same thing, but Thomas is like, you know, somebody says, you are lifting stones. What are you doing? Don't you say I am lifting stones? Then these rajas. Rajas brings all that vitality and action. I must do this. I am the doer. I am the enjoyer. I will gain this. Later on people will say, he did so much. For that one is doing. So the same person lifting stone. What are you doing? Are you? I am enshrining my name. In the future people will say, this was the man who did this. You know, There is um, this kind of a training sometimes given. Is something called as Jutoki Seva, I don't know whether you have heard or not, in some of the places, Gurudwara, you have, you know, people will, their work is to keep the chapels in place when people are going. And it's people, why, envy for this, you know, why? Because you may be a big general, you may be a big fellow and you are doing it. Now you see how ego creeps in. Are, such a big man and he was doing Jutoki Seva. <laughs> now you see, ego finds its door. It's not that which makes you humble. True humility is to know that you are nothing before the divine. That's what Arjuna has developed. He is not saying that. No. It's good. It's a good training. For crude ego, it is good training. For momentarily at least, it's good too. But that's not, Gita is not saying any of these things as seva. It is speaking of divine service. We are not here to show to the world that we are sevaks. Rajas likes to do that. Even in service of the divine, it wants its name to be enshrined. Look at instrument of God. Wow. No, no. It teaches a true instrument of God discovers he is nothing. <laughs> but it's God who is everything. So the Gita is taking Arjuna step by step through that process. So he says, if you want to gain knowledge, want to know what is to be done, not to be done, first you turn this discerning intellect, which is a faculty given by nature to evolved human beings. This is one of the markers of an evolved humanity. Without a discerning intellect, man is only as the great yogi king Bhartahari said, Shubhinda has translated his uh, you know, writings in uh, the century of life, very humorously he has noted many truths. He says, I have met number of uh, animals who didn't have horns, didn't have a tail, and we were walking on toes. So he could add, they were also vegans and organics. So that's not what is the hallmark of humanity. Hallmark of humanity is the discerning intellect. And this discerning intellect is in a rudimentary way in everybody, every human being. That's why we have a need to justify our actions. Because we must, to whatever way, even the man who gets angry, justifies. You know, so and so said something, therefore I got angry. 
you need to this is a rudimentary thing the man who blows up children women who doesn't have even the courage to take on a combat face to face such a cowardly person he says i am doing correct why because my scripture says so so we have a need to justify the most crude levels but then when this faculty is driven by outer and downward propensities then it is at the mercy of the horses so discerning intellect has two movements one is what the gita calls as the bahu shakha naam buddhi what is bahu shakha naam oh you know let's uh, read the gita today i am going to do half an hour reading of the gita suddenly a friend phone comes phone a friend can we go to the mall there is a new sale going on oh yeah and you know there is a good outlet for food oh wonderful driven by everything external that is what is called bahu shakha naam whatsapp messaging <laughs> bahu shakha naam means it is branching out in all kinds of thing driven by external touches you want to turn to god and you know you go there and your mind oh it's so hot maybe there's the first thing the divine wants us to be trained in so that's why the gita speaks about equanimity but before doing that it's bahu shakha naam we have to learn to turn this intellect inward and upward downward means we may be doing any action but our eyes are on the fruit so i take a dig at all this you know because see common person having an eye on fruit is understandable but you have these kathas you have these but your eyes either on the throne next who will become the next cardinal next pope next molana next mandaleshwar mahamandaleshwar next jathedar everywhere it is the same or it is an eye on what is the money that i am going to get after the katha and give me in cash because it's all nowadays ed is reading everyone now that is not the right use of intellect we are not even adhikari so what is the right use of intellect turn it inward in search of something deeper which can govern us in search of the soul in search of that which is untarnished unblemished by all these events and circumstances then we discover the soul within independent of the movements of nature turn it upward seeking for a higher truth for a higher principle for good for beauty for that which is the source of all things all beings so first thing is when we turn inward and upward then initially there is a wall of all our tamo rajasik and satvik nature do's and don'ts of life governed by certain principles of the scriptures we want to look for something beyond arjuna has reached that point even the satvik scripture is unable to guide him and then by the force of this turning upward we begin to enter into another state and that is called gyana so gyana is nothing to do with reading of scriptures they may prepare us for that but when the intellect is turned inward and inward then we re- realize gyana yoga so what what is the sign of such a gyani does he know all the sanskrit shlokas by heart can he give lot of talks anywhere none of this is a sign of gyani he is not dependent upon being hailed by the crowd so the gita speaks about what is the sign of a pandita so he treats 
all men, events, circumstances with an equal vision. Now this equal vision, there is a deeper truth which Sri Krishna reveals later. Because if we catch it half, then it would mean, oh wow, I have a snake, so nice, let me catch it and put it in my pocket. That's how equality, no? I can put it. Do it if you are Shiva. That's the example. <laughs> First discover the Shiva, then you can pick up the snake. But if not, do a namaste. Don't harm the snake. Equal vision. Say that Shiva has come, but Shiva in his Radra Roop, too dangerous to get too close. <laughs> Say namaste. <laughs> Nag Panchmi. Maybe keep some milk and quietly watch. That too only the cobra will try it. Don't Try this with Mamba. Okay? So there also there is a hierarchy. Cobra is king of snakes, Nagana. <laughs> so this equality towards things, events, circumstances, people often quote it, Sama lost Kanchana. For him, mud is as good as Kanchan. What does it mean? Does it mean if he has money, he will throw it away into mud and say it's all the same? No, that does. It does not mean blurring of distinctions. It means if Kanchan comes to him, he knows he's a trustee. He's not excited, oh my God, I got so much money. But if mud comes to him, he says, okay, I will turn it into a shivlingam. That is what it means. He can use everything. If wealth comes, he can use it to serve the divine. That's how... Mirabai says in one of her bhajans, she says that Meto Savari Kerang Rachi and she says, Karna Fakiri Firkya Dilagiri Sada Magan Merehanaji. So Kaho to Motian Mang Jadava, Kaho Chitkarakesh. If you want me to braid my hairs with pearls, I'll do it for you. Not to impress people. How good I look? How good I look? What to such a person is the praise and blame of mankind? But for God, he does. She does. Krishna, do I look good? Something of your charm? Or, if she has to have hairs flowing because there is nothing, then she says, goes to Krishna and says, how do you like my Kali Roop? Either which way. It is to please the divine and not for anything external. So we are like trustees. What comes to us, we receive it as gift of God. What goes from us, it goes from the divine within to the divine in others. That is the state the Gita is asking us to awaken through equanimity. Equanimity is the first sign, not only of a jnana, but of a karma yogi. And then the other thing he says is, his being has become vast and impersonal. So what is the sign of that? Desires and everything will come and pour into it without creating a turbulence. You know, it's like a sea. Often when people are harassed by this problem, that problem, one of the simple solutions is, O pond, become the river, O river, become the sea. O sea, become the Akash Ganga. That's a different stage. The smaller we are, the more miserable we are. Even if we pursue um, yoga with that idea, how much I am progressing, oh I did this, I did, Are forget yourself, remember the divine, that's what we are here for. Not one place the Gita speaks that kind of language that we are used to speaking. Become vast, grow in the vastness of God. So he becomes impersonal. There is a self-existent peace that dwells within him. So you arrive at that state. That's the first thing to be acquired. So Arjuna says, okay, okay, fine. 
Now what do I do? He says, now act. <laughs> so again he brings him back. So Arjuna once again speaks about, when you know he speaks about uh, all this jnana, he says, yes, yes, I have heard. So sannyas is better, isn't it? Withdraw from action and then, so he says, no, 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 don't get me wrong. I am talking of inner tyag, inner turning, upward turning of the intellect. I am not talking of leaving anything outwardly. Tyag is superior to sannyas. And in a state of tyag, now you act. So now he says, what should I do, tyaga? Tell me now. What should I leave? Should I, I am wearing gold chain, shall I leave it? Shall I divorce my wife? I, or shall I say, I have no wife? No child, shall I say any of these things? Sri Krishna says, don't be a fool. Don't play with words. So what shall I renounce? He says, step by step, renounce first the fruit of your actions. Act, but only to God the fruits belong. Act, but know that only to God the fruits belong. Shri this poem, the Rishi. His beautiful poem, the divine worker. I face earth's happenings with an equal soul. In all are heard thy footsteps. And then it describes very beautifully. Failure is cradled on thy deathless arms. Fortune is thy passage seen through mirror's glass. Now it's like pulling the carpet below your feet. All the time we act because of results. People even do not act if they know that this is going to be failure. That's why foresight is hidden from man. He will not act. So, act but know that fruits do not belong to me. This is the most practical thing. Common sense. Actually, anybody 17, 18 will understand. And at by 40, you 100% know. And if by 41 doesn't know this simple fact of life without reading the Gita, <laughs> then you are going to be fooled. Fruits don't belong to us anyways, which way you look at it. Whether you call it destiny, fate, God, chance, random accident, they don't belong to us. What will come out is not dependent on our action alone. There are a host of factors. And that the Gita explains, but that may not be so necessary to the central teaching about, you know, how the fruit comes. But fruit doesn't belong to us. Okay, first thing. So he says, now, how do I act? I was always acting. I am, you want me to fight a war? And you want me to lose? He says, no, I didn't say that. You're not fighting a war to lose. You don't fight a war to lose. You're fighting a war to win. Then, he says, you fight a war to win. But if you lose, don't get disheartened. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Then how do I? Means It doesn't mean that I do work indifferently. Shurabindo makes it very clear. That if I say I'm not acting for results, there was a man sitting in one of those Shurabindo centers. And one day, sandalwood trees were stolen. Bangalore. So next day we came, we saw they are stolen. Now, you know, sandalwood trees don't belong to anybody. They belong to government. So you are not supposed to cut them, sell them. So we, we had it and we had told the government that, you know, when they said, okay, when it grows up, we'll take it away. And they, they'll compensate you, whatever it is. So next day morning he said, what did you do? He says, I was watching as a witness. I saw they were being taken. <laughs> that reminds me of Dara in Shurabindu Ashram. Dara would sit in his room with one cigarette in his mouth or his two hands 
and two mosquito coils in his both his feet. Princely state, no, of Hyderabad, and he's sitting and meditating. From the open window, somebody is stealing his, um, you know, clothes. Then someone entered and saw that there is a cloth being stolen. He said, "Dara." So he says, "Yes, I know." He says, "I am admiring how this fellow has found this idea of putting this thing and stealing the whole thing." Kita <laughs> is not asking us to do any of these foolish things. We have to act with an eye on perfection. Why? Because then it is no more my action. It is we are doing it for the sake of the divine. See how things will change. Every day, Shabri is cleaning the floor, plucking the fruits. Even that lady tasted it. Are they okay? Every day for thirty-five years, she was doing this. It was not a temple in which she was doing this seva, but by her seva, her kutir has turned into a temple. Even now, you know, it's a place which is celebrated. All the people told her, "You are doing foolish things. Come, there is a course on meditation going around the corner." You can't pay. We will pay for you. Learn meditation technique and realize God. He says, "I don't know. I am just waiting for Rama. I know intuitively he'll come. Are why will he come to you? We have heard he is going to kill Dur. You know, Ravana. You are a small fry. I don't know. So she is doing it meticulously well every day. Why? Because she is doing it for the sake of a Lord." Will the Lord come? She cannot say. Only the Lord knows. When we live life this way, even sadhana and yoga, or oh, tell me, give me a guarantee, when I will become supramentalized? Well, if you go by guarantees, then there are people round the corner who will take two thousand dollars in two days. They will show you orange light, and after ten days, when there is pain in the joints, you will say, you know, it's because of supramental transformation going on in my joints. I am speaking of all the things I have seen in this world. <laughs> Course on pranic healing, and somebody after two days, I was just reading by the way in that <laughs> place, overheard a conversation between the master and the <laughs> learner. I had seen orange light. Oh, so you are already in contact with the supramental? <laughs> I just turned my. <laughs> So you see, this is not what it's all expectations. Expectations. Now, when you have expectations, the mind will even create formations. Even when we turn to God like a blank slate, that's what the mother says. I am like a blank slate. You inscribe your will on it. That is the state we have to arrive at. The mother says, "There was a man who told me, 'I am going to. I am ready to follow the will of God. Only one thing I cannot do.'" If you ask me to raise a sword, I'll never do it. But I know God will never say so. And the mother asked him, "How are you so sure? <laughs> How are you so sure? What God will say, not say? So all these things which are like cobwebs. So we have to surrender the fruit of actions, and this state develops only when we are dedicating our action to the divine, not for the ego." and these things can be very subtle we may be dedicating to the ego and it may yet look like the divine 
We may live in an ashram for 50 years and never step out and get the pride. See, I have never walked out. See, ego can work. I am a dedicated soldier of the mother. All these masks of the ego. And they cannot go unless one has inwardly practiced yoga. They don't go by simply, you know, when somebody asks Shurabindo that, uh, Sir, I believe those who are very close, physically close to you, they are the first, going to be the first batch of supramentalized humanity. He says, oh, in that case, my desk and the, (laughs) that block of wood will be the first one. See, all these conceptions, they all interfere with the divine play. Yes, we are at a place where we should be. This okay. And be true to whatever you are doing. But the action is done to the divine. Not even to an institution or community and all the... the in human cycle, yesterday we were reading. Not even to the communal ego. The ego has to be sacrificed at only one altar. And that is the divine. So, he says, remember and offer, remember and offer, remember and offer. And this is a wonderful state in one of Guru Nanak's story, you know. And <laughs> A young lad, dad was going out, he said, take care of the shop. He said, okay. When he comes, he sees almost everything is gone. Hardly any money in the drawer. He says, what happened? He says, I was counting. When I have to give, you know, how many, how much of wheat I have to give. So with the scoop, I was counting how many scoops. So I had to give 14 scoops. I counted. 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, means you, for you, the Lord. So I kept saying, Tera, Tera, Tera. It's a story. <laughs> Everything belongs to the Lord. When we live in that state, actually we arrive at a large inner freedom. No burden, oh my God, this is mine, this is my. This is not our journey, this is Krishna's journey. It looks like your journey. But he is the fellow who is taking us through all this. So after this karma yoga, dedicate everything to God and wait for his impulsion. Sarva sankalpa sannyasi, aniket, all these states will develop. Anashraya, you are dependent only on the divine. Then after a while, Sri Krishna now starts revealing to him the nature of God. And this whole world is a great yagna. How the affairs of the world are being conducted. Why action belongs to you but not the result? Because it's a yagya. In yagya at the end you get prasad. Everybody gets his own share. So that's how he reveals something very tremendous, powerful. And it's one of the central points of the Gita's teaching. One, that we are not alone. The divine is within us. First truth, that there is the divine inside, the imminent divine. And asuras know him not. So, who is the Asura? Who troubles and tortures the divine in the body? How does he torture the divine in the body? He lives his life for fun, from drinks to painful okay, tattoos, <laughs> so, to loud noises. See, who is troubled? Ganpati Visarja, no, I keep saying, poor fellow. Ganpati can't run away, no? Durga Puja. I don't know, whom are you inviting with all those Bollywood songs? Durga or Mahisasur? So we torture the divine. What else? 
you know when we have a sacred place we put nice agarbattis nice smell perfume so what is that agarbatti inside aspiration beautiful aspiration faith these are the flowers we should offer but what we offer instead kama krodh lobh mohammad matsar bhayam so it's like a horror it's different thing that the divine will bear all this but what we are doing with the divine that's what is important so he says not like the titans who do not know they despise the divine in the body that's why they destroy this world this is meant for our pleasure later on he will describe these two types of humanity the titan the asuric and the devic and it's a very important chapter how much ever we may like to you know it's not about racism it's not about racism is on the surface you are this you are that it's not about racism it's about the deeper sense of humanity evolves through two stages and maybe half in between and these two stages are in the beginning mankind is asuric when it's turned only towards the body as the self vital desires as the self and the other is devic when it turns towards some knowledge wisdom self control self mastery swadhyaya he doesn't have dambha vanity asura has vanity he has a wealth wealth of vanity you see people often they take great pride on their cell phone they have all the ministers names you know it's a misfortune you know why if you are in a problem <laughs> you will which is the minister he may not pick up he may not even recognize you huh? and you have all your life lived to please this fellow but if you don't have any of these whom will you call like prahlad you will say hari 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 <laughs> ma 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 and then he is the 24/7 friend the friend who never fails only friend who never abandons never condemns such is krishna to arjuna such is the divine to man nar narayan always together and in their union lies the secret of perfection so when we learn to call all these people have their place huh? whatever it is but they are not friends you know minister is my friend oh ask him whether you are his friend or not <laughs> but divine is your friend ask the divine yes so many beautiful stories of krishna of mother shurbindo who is a friend the divine is the sure friend so dedicate to him live for the divine everything for the sake of the divine so shri krishna begins to reveal first is this that the divine is inside and he gives even a process of concentration and then he says but you know time to time i even take a human body i stand in the forefront he is not just inside as some immanent because it is very difficult inside divine outside divine upward divine what is the divine like so it is very difficult for us to understand we want a living example so he takes a human body and gives his example it's called shobindo emphasizes this in the gita it's one of the most important doctrines god's own example that's why i often say that you know okay read the life divine read everything that shobindo did is wonderful but read his life of course nowadays i have to say from the right source because even that has been corrupted but read his life see how uplifting it is shobindo is life unique from reception adventure of consciousness satprem or this other one you know uh, quite a few others where you feel so uplifted move deeply just by reading his life because there is you know how yoga is what yoga should be 
beyond all these cuttings of the intellect so god stands in the forefront why his nature we must put on as he put ours our life is a paradox with god for key so then the gita brings in this doctrine of double nature so we all oh, this my nature this my nature but the gita says there is another nature para prakriti my nature so where is this my nature only to god there no he is in this body so he is here with his nature that's why swami vivekananda opened with this thundering applause and he says i am proud to come from a land where we believe that man is not a fallen being but his true nature is divine this is the secret truth our nature hides there is a surface nature rajogun tamogun satugun and there is a deeper divine nature from which they have emerged shri krishna does not describe much of it little bit he gives us hints why because if everything he would have told arjuna's problem was different he was waiting for all of us little little arjuna to come and for him to come as sri arbindo and then to say what this divine nature can do transform us so that that was held back there is a lot shri krishna holds back when he says i am the vyakta i am the avyakta when he shows his great vision i am the soul doer so but lot he holds back but then there is a double nature in man so this nature we have to exchange for the true divine nature and how do we do it by offering this is the original plan of uh, demonetization where you exchange your old currency and you get new currency so this is always a win win benefit we shouldn't do it for benefit but giving yourself to god is the most logical practical the best business deal ever no footnotes no mutual risk <laughs> whatever we give to god is returned back to us not tenfold that's an ignorance but divine fold it changes into its divine we give knowledge by trying to think of god he gives us wisdom beyond scriptural knowledge we give him human love he fills our hearts with the sweetness of divine love we give our actions how do we give our actions as yagya sacrifice what is yagya is another very beautiful thing about the gita what is yagya yagya is again not again lighting a fire outside one can do that it's okay yagya is to light up the inner flame of aspiration when we offer all actions he doesn't say only these actions every action sir not everything is very pleasant huh okay offer it sure yes nothing is hidden from me suryo yatha sarva lokasya chakshu i am the sole witness offer it to me sir i am very shy ashamed if you act like that like gopis i'll take away all this shyness virtuosity everything from you okay okay i am offering i am going to kill these people what can be worse i am offering it to you and then when we offer an action it is purified this is the action of fire what does fire do it destroys what cannot be purified it destroys the ego what does fire do it refines the base metal action done for crude motives becomes an action done for the fulfillment of divine will upon earth it changes motive changes when we offer it what does fire do it uplifts everything upward what does fire do it gives heat 
and light, the divine energy to do the action and the divine wisdom to do the action. So this offering, constant state of remember and offer is a key practice of the yoga of the Gita. And we can do it before an action, we can do it after the action, in between, whenever we remember. Satatsmaran. This way it takes us and builds to a grand climax. And he says, you know what, Arjun? Give everything to the divine. Offer to the divine everything. Love the divine. Adore the divine. Think of the divine. Now comes a problem. That, hold on, Krishna, I have heard that, you know, path of tapasya and you are talking of surrender to surrender to divine. Pray tell me which is better. He says, you know, both ways you will reach me. Because I am the one behind. You know what is the Gita saying? Okay, we'll come to that in a moment. He says, either ways. But the path I am giving you is shorter, easier, more delightful. Anyways, I'll be there, behind. But when you offer to me, I'll hold you by my hand and take you up. So you'll have a good company. You don't want a good company? The best company of the divine. Even if there is an avalanche, you don't mind. Even if you are buried under heaps of rubbles, you are with the divine. How beautiful life becomes. He says, I'll take you. It's much easier. Tapasya path means so much more difficult. You will exhaust yourself and ultimately you will reach. But a long journey. And you will reach only up to the impersonal. There is something greater than that. You will reach there if you take the path of bhakti and surrender. So the Gita now begins to reveal who is the divine. He is not just some mechanical power behind creation. Such a divine won't be worth pursuing. He is certainly not the divine who is the conception of religions. Busy with a scepter and a carrot and a rod. You are doing good, take this carrot, promote it. You are doing evil, I am going to punish you with the rod. There is only one place the Gita speaks about this, but in a very different sense. Those who are asuric, what does Gita do to them? He says, I cast them into more and more asuric birth. Meaning thereby your choice. Asura implodes by his own bloating ego. That's the interesting part. Mother was asked this. She says, he will be destroyed by his own bloating ego. You can't tell him that, you know, change course. And to those who are dedicated to him, I grow in them the Godhead. That is the reward. So the Gita changes this whole idea of karmic theory. You will be born in a big family, rich family. The Gita does endorse this saying of the Bible. It is easier to make a you know, camel pass through the eye of a needle than to make a rich man turn to God. So he doesn't talk all that. You know, you've done good karmas. You are born in rich family in, across the globe. Maybe because of bad karmas, who knows? Good karmas. So it says there are three kinds of karmas. Mechanically done karma, it, it only creates more and more delusion. It doesn't help. Every day I am going offering flowers. Okay, you can do it, but that's not what is going to bring wisdom inside us. Unless God one day takes your offering seriously. <laughs> for, for some reason, one particular day you suddenly remembered, God, I am offering these every day. Today I am in crisis. So the Gita speaks of four kinds of bhaktas. Two inferior and two higher. The inferior kinds are earth. Every day you were going, okay, I have done my duty. Rest of the time, 23 hours, 59 minutes, your duty. But one day we are in crisis. We say, I don't know. Help me, Lord. 
we may believe or not believe doesn't matter and the help comes that is the art it's a inferior kind of bhakti because it's done with a motive and the second kind of bhakti is artharthi it's good to have you know exchange offer with god if i give belpatra he will give me tamrapatra or swarnapatra shiva will say i can give you moksh full and you are busy only gathering this if i do this particular bhajan god will look after my family children they will get educated the divine response to that also he says as is your faith the gita says faith is important as is your faith so i respond to you if you want to receive only this much well he also acts like a beggar and gives us only he also acts like a poor man gives us only outer riches <laughs> but when we approach him for gyana the two higher kinds of bhaktas true knowledge i want to know who are you then he gives wisdom and then beyond it is the knower who loves god the more you know him the more you love him who else will you love and then he says who is this divine because everybody speaks of god yes 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 but what is this divine whom we adore so the gita takes us through several chapters passages who is this divine so he says one the divine is threefold in three levels we can meet him shar in every mutable element of creation he is hidden same thing in the isha upanishad yat kinch jagatyam jagat everywhere he is there oh are you sure yes in every movement he is hidden deep within that's why in nature we feel happy why because that divine presence is hidden and then but i am also beyond nature beyond this mutable world in the immutable silence of nirvana akshar brahma parmam this is where many people stop nothingness holy nothingness the holy ghost forgetting the father and the son so wonderful it's a spirit all around why should i want anything else shivoham shivoham sachidanandoham arjuna may be about to utter that he says hold on beyond sharan akshar i am the purushottama i am the divine being from whom all these existences emerge in some i effuse there are beings in whom i fill their nature with this touch and they become my vibhutis who are doing my work in the world but even that is not the highest consummation the highest consummation is to know me alone and in that knowledge everything ceases then arjuna says Sir, who are you are you not krishna the yadava oh that's my vibhuti that's my birth i'm also the vibhuti vrishni clan sir who else are you i am rama among the parush sir please don't confuse me tell me who are you at the end he is arjuna is desperate then he reveals his vishrupa that is the second level at which we understand the divine individual and the cosmic all this manifestation is nothing else but his doings all getting and having and death and birth and the cycles of creation and the gods and the asuras and the gandharvas and the celestial beings and the rakshasas and asuras and the five elements they are all within him beautifully you know he who knows is freed from all fear but initially arjuna is struck with awe and fear because your ego is lost 
He sees himself going inside and then emerging. Ego is lost. It is such a freedom. But the ego rests. That's why people don't want to surrender. Because one will lose the ego. But what one will get is far greater. So because of this, Arjuna is afraid. Why? Because he is an accomplished person. He is Kante. He is Bharata. He is Parth. He is Dhanurdhara of preeminence. None is equal to him. He is Arjuna, which means the pure white. He is Mahabaho. Even his physical being is designed by nature to be an instrument of God. Mahabaho. Dhananjaya. He has conquered his sleep, his nature. Such an Arjuna suddenly discovers he is nothing. God is all and we are nothing. Then we become everything, one in God. So when he reveals, first he prays, he is afraid, then he prays, he says, I can't behold it. And then in that cosmic vision, there is also the transcendent. Avyaktoham, everything is escaping on all sides into some infinity. So these three terms of the one divine are revealed there. It's a very powerful this is what we have to always remember. The divine is not just within me. He is also in the cosmic movement. That's why we should take interest in what's happening in the world. It's part of the divine movement. Otherwise we all become isolated mokshavadins. And then when he sees that, in a way Gita is, could be the closed chapter now. But then he speaks to Arjuna about the threefold nature, which already we have spoken about. And then he says, you know what, Arjuna, the secret of man, who he is, is in his faith. It's something very interesting. It is by faith that we arrive. Shraddha, Vaan, Labhate. Faith is the man. Gita goes on to say, what is this faith? It is not about belief in a creed, custom, nothing. Because he is already liberated. Who is this Purushottama? How to worship him? He says, I am everywhere. The God of the Gita is everywhere and in everything. He is not, please, we should not limit him to one space. There are spaces which are wonderful manifestations. But he is not limited there. He is everywhere and in everything. How to worship him? He says, patram pushpam phalam toya. Offer this water, this flower. Everything I receive when done with faith and devotion. And then it gives the signs of one who is a bhakta of the Lord. You know what is the sign? He is always full of sweetness. He is always full of joy. He is no fear, bhakta of the divine. He is equal soul to all beings, maitri, karuna, evascha, science of the bhakta. So then, toward the end, then he says, man is his faith. What is that faith? Deep within us, the light or the lamp of faith burns. It is what we are. And what is that faith? Faith in what we can say our will to be. I may profess in a creed, which believes in God. But my faith is, the world will come to an end. All infidels will be destroyed. That's my faith. It doesn't matter what I believe in outwardly. If my faith is in fully filling my coffers with gold, that's my faith, real creed. I may go to temple every day. But that's what. But if my faith is that man has a beautiful destiny and all of us have a beautiful destiny, this world is impregnated with seeds of light which have sprung from the heart of God. 
then my faith is that I'll become divine. That's my will to be. Faith impels us. It takes shape in us as will to be. So we must guard this faith. And then at the end, and he says how to guard this faith. That's one part. And toward the end, Sri Krishna says, all this I have told you. I have done my bit. Now I'll tell you the greatest of all secrets. What is the greatest secret? No, Arjuna, after all this, something else he's going to tell me. <laughs> he says, all that I have said is fine. You, he, There he speaks about Swadharma. How, how to choose? Choose on the basis of Swadharma. The God-inspired action which, within, which is a natural, it is embedded in our soul, Swadharma. Swadharma means each one will have his own inner inspiration to act in a certain way. One must go by that. That's Swadharma. It's a very, um, there, you know, we have... Uh, Sri Krishna speaks about Chaturvanya, the evolution of soul and how Sadharma is not a fixed thing. Sadharma, in fact, Dharma itself is something evolves. Yada yada hi dharma sigla. Dharma is not something fixed before we come to the last word because the Gita starts with Dharma Shetre, Kuru Shetre, Samadheta, Yutsava. The path of action is the path of unfolding Dharma. Dharma unfolds. Dharma is that which stands as the bedrock of all existence. But Dharma is also that in the movements of life unfolds the divine truth which is hidden within. All that takes us closer to the divine and the divine unfolding is Dharma. All that takes us away from the divine and the divine unfolding is the Dharma. What a vast definition. So he's already told him all that. So dharma, dharma. He is himself come as the upholder of dharma. But right now he's engaged in a massacre on the battlefield. Because that is how the path of dharma opens. Otherwise humanity will go behind. Many layers behind if the cohorts of Arjuna, uh, of uh, Duryodhana begin to rule. So they must be removed. And so it is Arjuna's dharma. Even as a Kshatriya it is his Sodharma. So he's revealed all about Sodharma, about dharma. Act according to dharma, higher law, deeper law, not according to ego and desire. He said, but I'll tell you a still greater secret. Sarva dharma, man mana bhav, he starts with that. Man mana bhav, mad bhakta, madhya ji ma namashkuru. Become my minded. Think of God and mind will begin to automatically be shaped. That's why it's read Shirobindo. The least that will happen is least. The mind will begin to be suffused by the light of Sri What more? Just by reading. Because we are dwelling upon the thought of God. That's why he written all this. Not for keeping them nicely and gifting to others. Man mana bhav. Mad bhakta. Don't try to please the world. Don't try to please your ego. Don't try to please your relatives. Don't try to please the authorities. Don't try to please this or that. Hundred people. So somebody I want to please, no? My ego? No. Last. Whom should I please? Madhubhakta. Please the Lord. Who else is worth pleasing? Doesn't matter. The world thinks of you this way, that way. But the divine will always love you. So Madhubhakta. Madhyaji ma namashkuru. Become my minded, my lover, my devotee, bow unto me. Some people say, oh, very egoistic. It is the perfect cure for our ego. Bow unto the divine. 
to remember that we are nothing without the divine with that attitude ma namaskuru this namaskuru is to bow before the divine however much we may have gained in knowledge however much the world may whatever degree nothing we are nothing before the divine that is the ground for knowledge to pour in madhya ji ma namaskuru then the divine is promising in return he says my word of promise i will never abandon you they who turn to me are never abandoned in life or in death so tamasik work brings moha rajasik work brings pleasure and pain satvik work brings sukham and prakasham but divine work it those who give themselves to the divine the divine gives himself to those for them are seas of light and knowledge and love and ananda and everything else so he says i will never abandon you in life or in death while fighting you remember me when you fall you remember me in death you remember me and i'll take care of all the rest in your life and then he goes still further sarva dharman parityaja ultimately my super parava ultimate walk sarva dharman parityaja so dharma this that you can't understand sarva dharman parityaja mame kam sharanam raja abandon all dharmas meaning thereby all standards of conduct you are confused still okay abandon all standards of conduct and what do i do i become a nomad no become god mad sarva dharman parityajya mam ekam sharanam raja take refuge in me alone aham twa sarva papebhyo mokshishami ma shucha i'll free you liberate you from all sin and evil do not grieve do not fear what a great assurance the letter of shurbindo and that letter says sincerity strength if it is spiritual is a great power spiritual strength born out of tapasya a greater power is sincerity but the greatest of all powers is grace have i not reminded you n number of times about this great word of the gita abandon all dharmas and take refuge in me alone i will deliver you from all sin and evil and fear do not grieve thus closes the gita and when sanjay who is the scribe see sanjay is only if i will just ask him on the way and this is so interesting who said the gita there is a technical answer and there is a deeper answer technical answer is sanjay isn't it is a technical answer technical answer is it's there in vyasa's mahabharat so vyasa has written it but see these two answers do not satisfy gita is the outflowing of krishna into the vessel called arjuna and wherever there is a human vessel ready to receive the complete influx of the divine consciousness by giving oneself completely to the divine there there is victory there there is truth there there is light there there is fullness of the spiritual life and there there is perfection in human clay namaste
Guarding the faith, yes, yes, yes. Yes, so faith is your will to be. It is the deepest treasure. It is going to carry the journey of your life. Now what happens when faith is not yet very strong, this will to be? It can be misled by all kinds of forces. Take it like a little plant. It can be eaten by animals or a little lamp. It can flicker when the wind is flowing or a little sapling. So this will to be has to be guarded. How do you guard? By not, one is, don't start declaring it everywhere. You are exposing it. There are all kinds of human beings. So the Gita says, don't speak about it to people who are hostile and full of doubt. Because one is not strong enough inside. But when faith and will to be has changed into knowledge and wisdom, then you are like an inferno. Whatever comes into it gets burned. When the tree has grown big, even a tornado cannot uproot it. So in the beginning, it is important to guard the faith by being careful about whom we our you know, company is in today's time so important because we have this liberal idea, you know, meet and mix. and So that's why the Asuric and Davic type of humanity, the Gita speaks about and cautions us. It speaks about, you know, the God lovers with whom you want to interact. The whole idea is to nurture and nourish because in the beginning, that's why these spaces have been created like Auroville, like the ashram, so that you can nurture this. Uh, you are in the world, everything of the world is there, but yet... So, but even there, you will have all kinds of humanity. So, guard it in this sense that don't let this diamond treasure be just exposed to anyone and everyone. It's a treasure given by the divine. Keep it carefully. So, that's what it cautions us against. And one can grow it. Satsang, these kind of meetings are meant to grow it. Reading Mother and Shurabindo, reading books which contain this wisdom. So, that's how one must guard. Anyone? Most of the Shastra kind of symbolism, like Savitri also has symbolism. Chapter 13 starts by saying that this body is not Shetra. Yes, Shetra Shetra, yeah, that's true. So Shetra is, uh, actually it is not, it starts with the body, but the entire field in which we are working, nature, you know, the mind it's included. So uh, normally we think I am, it's like identifying, I take this example of some people identified with the house, they do take care of the house, but they are over identified with the house. Now we must understand that there is the dweller of the house which is other than. Now when we understand it, we can bring better changes and I'll give an example uh, with the same house analogy because that's how I understood when I had seen it. I say that this is my house, I've inherited from my parents. Now what happens with that mentality, you don't want to bring in any change, you want things to remain as they are, static. You are attached to the house for the sake of the house. The people who do that. But then when you are not attached to the house, but that's a plot given to you, how you want to do it, you want to make it beautiful. You may even reconstruct the whole thing, make it into something beautiful. So this idea that this nature of ours is a field given to us to work upon. It's not finished. The idea implicit within it is that it is a field. We have to till it. The seeds are there and they must spring over a period of time and we have to tend the whole process of 
preparing the soil and watering it, guarding it against all the dangers and letting these seeds of the divine within us blossom. So that's why one of the meaning of the word Arya itself is the tiller of the soil, the farmer. So this is the meaning of this nature is not a finished product. There is a higher supernature. But by tilling this very nature which is given to us, we'll discover it. There are many implicit ideas. We don't have to discard something, but till it. Remove the weeds, for example. Till it properly. Go deeper into it. Superficially, it doesn't work. Superficially, when we try to change nature, we just learn an artificial smile. So that's not what it is. But when we really have worked upon it, then there is something from within that emerges. So that's what is the Shetra, Shetra Kya. So who is the knower of the field? It is the divine within. Mind cannot know. It is part of the Shetra. The vital cannot know. Body of course is great importance given to that because it is the pot in which all these things are taking place. That's all. Yes, please. The Mahavakya for us is the living servant of divine consciousness. Can it be translated into Sanskrit like the Devadas? Well, there are even beautiful words. I would prefer Devadasi because that word has very deep connotations and has been one of the words which have been misused, misunderstood by uh, sections of humanity which want to portray and paint everything in a dark light. So I would consider it as Devadasi, which I come originally it is Goddess Yalama. I'm not going into that story where, you know, um, who was it? Jamini, his wife, Parshuram's mother, who was beheaded. And, but who was the Devadasi? They were temple dancers and they were courtesans. So the rich and the wealthy, uh, they were, you know, something like what modern day we use the word as, you know, prostitution and call girl. That's how it is portrayed. But look at the deeper meaning behind it. On one side, a woman is only pleasure object. On the other side, she is eternally married to the divine and she is a servant of the divine. Whatever happens in a physical life, she continues to remain pure by the very fact that she is a servitor of the divine. That's a great significant image. I love this image of Devadasi. That she love and there's a number of stories. One story is when someone asked Draupadi, how come you are Pativrata? Why? What's the problem? You had five husbands. So, she says, yeah, but I loved only one. Oh, then you were unequal. So, it is right that you loved Arjuna more. She says, no. Then how come you are Pativrata, chaste, pure, despite having five husbands, which is contrary to all scriptural. She says, because in my heart there was only Krishna. I loved only Krishna. So this is a very great conception. But servitor of God goes to any extent. Like this is still a limitation where life is divided into two. One which is an external life and the other which is an inner life. So one is to become Devadas inside where inwardly I am a slave of God which is powerful. Shabindu says God's servant is something, God's slave is better. But even in my outer life when I do what the divine wants me to do I am not attached to any activity. So there I use this example that if you approach the divine through uh, knowledge, he brings you into his study room 
and he shows you some of the plans, some of the books, past knowledge he reveals. Jnana Yoga. If you love, you know, you want to, you love the divine, you work for the divine, he, you will know all his will in different activities. But when you love his so utterly as to become his slave, then he will call you in his bedroom. Slave has no rest or respite. And if you are a lover and a slave, beloved and slave, then at midnight he will suddenly wake up and say, Hey, you know, I want to tell you what is going on in my heart. What is it, Lord? Something I am going to do tomorrow, day after tomorrow, all the future plans. You can't share with anybody. So the slave of God and his lover and beloved knows what the Jnana Yogi does not know. And the karm yogi yet does not know because he is still engaged in the action. That is the slave and lover of God. It's a very profound thing and it is only possible if God grants it. And the slave of God has no... Shubhinda gives that example. The sword is a joy in the play. The sword is a joy when it is put back into the sheath. The sword is a joy when it is broken and cast aside. That equal joy discovered. So the slave cannot ask why you are keeping me here, why you are giving me this work, that work. All of it belongs to God. As he wills, as he wills. Slave will only say, let thy will be done. Let thy will be done. Let thy will be done and not mine. And yes, it's very powerful and beautiful. Huh? So can we say, present the conditions of humanity, we are mostly identified with our nature. Because we are not still identifying not Radha, but nature. nature. Radha is nature surrendered to the divine. <laughs> so that is true. If you see the mass of humanity, all evolution is like that. So we are at an evolutionary jun- juncture and mass of humanity is like that. It's true. It's identified with nature. It believes in self-will, ego, that's what the masses are. Ego, mind. Ah, that's what the mass, mind and you know, reason as the highest office. Fair enough, that's one part. And uh, there is somebody who will take care of that humanity who is hiding. But there is another humanity which is feeling the need to change. I think that's what is important. If we just divide humanity into those who are identified with nature and those who have found the soul, there will be a big gap. But there are those who have begun to turn their discerning intellect within and upward in search of a greater principle of light and truth. And it is with them that the hope lies. Those who have found the soul have found the soul. They are free. And those who believe in nature, nothing else, higher, they live according to mind, as you said, according to their own conceptions. The divine will deal with them. And sometimes, when we don't understand the flute, then we have to face the Sudarshan Chakra. That's life. So there is a section of humanity which refuses. So when you don't uh, hear the flute, then the divine comes in the battlefield of Kurukshetra. Okay, take me, face me. You're not ready for the flute. So that's a path humanity chooses. Well, this time we know for certain that a reasonable number of humanity will cross this critical barrier wherein a mass destruction like Kurukshetra and Pralaya will not be necessary. And that's where the hope lies. The mother used the word, even if there is a handful, she used the word hundred, she in the book of hundred. Human beings who are ready 
to give themselves completely to become pure gold. And he says it is true that humanity has not become. And it's also true that time is pressing. So all that one can say, the sooner the better. And the hope lies with those who are fortunate enough to have felt the need and the call of the flute and are ready to abandon everything and dance to the tune of Krishna. There are these people who are growing everywhere and I see more and more of this among the younger lot. More and more. That's so satisfying. Not like old time, you saw the old timers sitting and talking, you know. But the younger lot who come with a clean slate, who are not baptized into a religion and they are ready for something greater. I mean, some of my students have come and I was saying that they are such wonderful people. And I see them and this is a kind of humanity which is there. It's so beautiful. So always there is hope. We should be die-hard optimists simply because God is the leader of the human march. As simple as that. I am one. Even if everything smashed, I would have complete trust that all will be well. <laughs> okay. Namaste.